Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to this week's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. We've got a super exciting guest, Cynthia Barnes, who's a LinkedIn top voice, LinkedIn top sales influencer, Salesforce top sales influencer, international keynote speaker, and founder of the National Association of Women Sales Professionals, NAWSP along with the Barnes Sales Institute. And she spent the past two decades studying the innate strengths of women in sales and what it takes for them to reach the top 1%. She's the creator of Thrive Success Strategies for Women in Sales, the first and only women-centric sales training, which is delivered to more than 500 companies, including Toyota, Google, and Michelin, if you've ever heard of them. She's also the host of a, a weekly podcast, Unstoppable, with Cynthia Barnes. And her insights and unique understanding of what it takes for women in sales to really excel have made her a sought-after expert on women-centric sales, training, and coaching. She's been on over 250 major media outlets, things like the Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, Salesforce Plus series, Beyond the Quota. And when she's not traveling the world, developing strategies that advance women in sales or writing about it in her book, Reach the Top 1%, A Strategic Game Plan for Warrior Women in Sales, she likes to travel. We got a chance to talk a little bit about our, our mutual love of Spain. Uh, and she's also a big fan of relaxing in the south of France. So I am super excited to talk to Cynthia and welcome you on today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You're not nearly as excited as I am. We're going to have so much fun today. I, I think there is so much to unpack with the topic of women in sales. How do we support the training and development? So women really feel like they belong in sales. The bro culture has been there for so long that is just so toxic, I think, to a sustainable top performance in any workplace or any organization. So I'm excited to unpack some of that. But where I always love to start is understanding something that you know happened earlier in your life that really impacted how you lead or, or how you sell. What, what comes to mind for you? Early in my sales career, I was setting goals like most sales professionals. And I realized that in my goal setting habits, I was trying to get to the top of the leaderboard. And I soon realized that that was a huge, huge mistake. And here's why. When you set your goal to become number one, and again, there's nothing wrong with, with achievement, ambition, drive, things like that. Sometimes we think too small. If the top of the leaderboard, let's say, is $1 million in sales, and you get $1 million and $1, then you're the best. But what happens if you set your goal at $2 million and you hit $1.5 million? So what I took from that is we can't compare ourselves to anyone because we limit our possibilities to being just better than the next best person. Instead, why don't we think bigger and say, 
if I had all the tools, resources, knowledge, everything that I need, what could I accomplish? And nine times out of 10, we will blow our set goals out of the water because we're competing with our own abilities. That's what I learned. And that's what's been most valuable. Wow. That's a really, really powerful point. And I think something that's challenging for us to do a lot of the times. And so I'd be curious, as you talk about goal setting, how have you come up with these goals in relation to yourself that maybe aren't just based upon a quota that was set or anything along those lines? Help me understand a little bit more of that. I start by asking myself, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do? And who do I want to be in this situation? Then I follow it up with, what can I do to achieve this goal? And I make a list of 25 things. The first five are pretty easy. The second 10, not so much. You got to dig a little deeper. By the time you get to the last five, That's where the magic happens because you're starting to peel back things that have nothing to do with actions, but more to do with mindset and self-limiting beliefs. And after I finish that exercise, I look in the mirror and say, why not me? Why not me? Wow, this is great. I know we talked a little bit about this why not me mindset and, and mentality at the start. And you mentioned self-limiting beliefs. I'd be curious, as you have this really unique perspective, seeing how many women are part of NAWSP today? I think at last count, we're around 15,000. Wow. Uh, Okay. So that's a ton of different women, sales professionals specifically, that you get to see. What are some of those self-limiting beliefs that, that you see that are really common with some women that you've worked with or coached or helped develop as part of your community? Oh my gosh, that inner critic is loud. She is obnoxious and she is relentless. She sits on your shoulder and I've heard things like, you're too young to sell. You're too old to sell. You're too heavy to sell. You're too skinny to sell. Your voice isn't the right pitch to sell. You don't have enough experience. You've got too much experience. You're not made for tech sales. You are not made for any kind of sales. You'd be better in marketing. So the inner critic says a lot of things that make us feel like I'm not able. And if we're not careful, I don't care if you're male, female, black, white, purple, Indian, Muslim, or Christian. If you're not careful, that inner critic will have you believing that you are not enough. And as, as I travel the world delivering strategies to NAWSP members and our community, we do an exercise. And in the exercise, we go through affirmations. And I ask this simple question, if you were to show up as your best true self, what affirmation, starting with I am, would help remind you of how powerful you are? And one young lady in San Francisco stood up and said, I am enough without even trying. And I thought, whoa, whoa, rarely am I speechless, but that affirmation, I am enough without even trying, 
set the tone for the entire year because I started using that for myself. Nobody needs to tell you you're great, Jordan. We need to intrinsically believe that we were enough the moment we opened our eyes this morning. Wow. I think there is so much power in that. One of having some form of affirmation because, yeah, I've got that inner critic. I hear it, different things that it may tell me that than what you've heard or your examples there. But it all starts with this confidence in ourselves and understanding that we're enough by being here. And I find I'm a big fan of affirmations. I'm adding that one onto my list because I think that one is powerful. But I know so many folks that like look at those and roll their eyes and hear the like, I'm nice and people like me kind of thing. So how do you help get through some of that pushback from people when they're like, yeah, that's like woo woo stuff. That doesn't work. How do you address some of that if you get that pushback? I get pushback all the time. And then we talk about science. And Amy Cuddy wrote a book about presence. And in that book, she talks about brain science and using it to affect how we show up. The truth of the matter is, Jordan, that we have neural pathways, little grooves in our brain where they determine how we respond to a situation, whether it's trauma, whether it's life experiences, whatever. So if X happens, then it goes through this neural pathway, which dictates why we have 80 to 90,000 thoughts a day, the majority of which are not very positive. So if we take the neural pathways, which are not very positive, how do we recreate neural pathways that are positive? And the answer is affirmations. Your mind can only handle a positive affirmation in present tense and in positive tense. So whatever you say behind the words, I am, your body and your mind believe. So to create a new neural pathway back to the science, this isn't Cynthia Barnes speaking, this is science. You have to say your affirmations 100 times a day. It could be 10 times 10, four times 25, one times 100. 100 times a day will get you to form that new neural pathway and give it seven days and you'll be excited about the change. Mm, That is so cool. And I love the fact that we are seeing now these things that many people had talked about or preached in some cases, I felt like actually validated by science and neuroplasticity showing us that yes, our brain can develop, it can change, it can evolve. But I find that so many of us are are kind of just put on a hamster wheel with no real direction or no goal or no vision of the ability to intentionally create who we are. Yes, And so I'd be really curious, you know, as you've gone through, you know, your own sales career and a a whole bunch of different types of selling, it looks like And for the folks that can check out your LinkedIn bio and the background there that you have across the, you know, all sorts of different types of sales. What has been the most helpful for you in your own 
personal affirmation if you'd be willing to share one aside from the one that, that you shared uh, that, that somebody else brought to the table for you? Sure. If you take a look at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see accolades. What's not on there is what my inner critic tells me at moments of vulnerability. The most impactful thing I can do is to pattern interrupt, kind of like when they in sales, when they say you've got to interrupt the pattern of your prospect from whatever they're doing to get them to listen to you. The same thing applies with their inner critic and the stories that the inner critic is telling ourselves. So the pattern interrupt for me is I hear the inner critic and I say, okay, stop. Cancel, cancel, cancel. And I literally say, cancel, cancel, cancel. And then I ask two questions. Number one, is what my inner critic saying true? Because sometimes that inner critic warns us of dangerous situations. Sometimes that inner critic says, you know what? You didn't prepare well for that presentation. And sometimes it's right. We can mm. use that criticism to do better next time. Oftentimes, though, my inner critic is full of, let's just label it BS. So I say, cancel, cancel, cancel. That's the pattern interrupt. Then I ask myself, is it true? If it's not true, then I say, okay, it's not true. You can get in the back seat, inner critic. I'm driving this vehicle. I will acknowledge what you said. We will discuss it later. But right now, I'm a woman on a mission. The second question I ask is, is it helpful? So I may not deal with that inner critic statement right now. I will deal with it later and determine whether or not it's helpful. So the first thing is pattern interrupt, cancel, cancel, cancel. The second one is, is it true? The third question is, or the third tactic is, is it helpful? And that helps me keep my inner critic in line so that she doesn't run me, I manage her. Wow, that is so cool. And if you, were you just born this way or, or did you have to go through something or some change or something to, to get to this point? Oh my gosh. Um, I grew up in a sundown town. Are you familiar with what that is, Jordan? I believe I have seen it referred to in a few different places, but I'd really appreciate it if you, if you shared what that meant um, sure. for, for the audience. Sundown towns are those towns that have signage where on the outskirts of town as you enter the town that say no blacks out. Well, they don't use that term, but they say no blacks out past sundown. And I grew up in a town like that. And I was the only black child from first grade through high school. And with that comes bullying through no fault of my own. Um, there was a lot of bullying. And I asked my parents, well, why do we come to the school district? If I were the only black family, it's not welcoming to blacks. What are we doing here? They said, it's the best school system in the state. And we want to do whatever we can as your parents to prepare you with education because there will be people who will challenge you because of how you look. They cannot challenge your education, your knowledge, and what you know. So from my parents' point of view, they were doing a good thing, and they did. I've got the best education money can buy, and I'm... 
I'm well prepared. It came at a cost, though, Jordan. That bullying came at a cost. And I had to learn early on that what others say about you is none of your business. What people feel about you is none of your business. It's hard, especially as a teenager growing up being called names and, and just degradation. You, it, it's really hard, but that bullying made me a better salesperson. That bullying made me a better leader. That bullying made me more empathetic. That bullying had to be overcome and I made a conscious effort to overcome it. I could use it to make me bitter or I could use it to make me better. And I chose the latter. I'm just taking a breath on that one because I think that is incredibly powerful. Um, And I've probably been in the position of bullying people and been bullied and felt made fun of. And I'm sure everybody can relate in some form or fashion, at least, although I'd say there's some stuff that I can't relate to uh, in, in what you've got to share there and what you've gone through. But that, that piece that you end with, I think, is so powerful of I can choose, choose intentionally to be bitter or better. And I yes. think there is so much, whether you read Viktor Frankl or others, that power between that stimulus, our response is where we have so much ability yes. to choose the high road, to choose creating your own greatness or, or yes. standing up for yourself as your own advocate. Yes. Yes. And man, we need that in sales so much. We boy, do. oh boy. We do. All right. So I'm thinking a little bit about creating this person and being your own champion and getting better all the time. But there's still probably struggles along the way. Uh, even sure. once you've realized you can you know, step into your own power and really intentionally create the person that you want to be, let go of that inner critic some, and yet you still come in and run into some form of a failure. Yes. How do you bounce back? Talk to me a little bit about that. Or, or what do you talk about as BBA? Yes, bounce back ability. So the number one thing I want to touch on what you said, that failure, let's change that to learning experience. Because the stories we tell ourselves affect the, how, the outcome of how we react, right? So there are no failures in life. There are only opportunities to bounce back better, okay? We also have to take a look at resiliency. The more resilience you want, the more adversity you will have to face, The more adversity you face, the stronger you become. And you know that old story about the Native American chief whose grandson asked, and I'm paraphrasing here, which one, the, which animal inside you wins when faced with a decision? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So every time you make a decision to stand up for yourself, to get back up, to make another call, to have a 
crucial conversation, you feed and strengthen that side of you. The converse is true too. If you hide, if you go home and you say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't stand up for myself, that part of you gets strengthened too. And before you know it, you will start to label yourself as a victim. My father told me when I was young, very, very young, there are three types of people in the world. Those who make things happen, those who wait for things to happen, and those who wonder what the hell happened. We get to choose how we show up. We get to choose to make things happen versus waiting for them to happen. And the ultimate is what happened. Never forget your ability to choose. You get to choose the best you. This is so good and so important because I think one this isn't the type of talk that I heard, at least in my school and education. And maybe this is part of the best education that you got. But I'm betting this came along life, uh, you know, through some different paths or, or through some different learning as well. And I'd like to kind of talk a little bit more about how this all impacts women in sales or how organizations can help bring this type of support for women in sales to help get past these self-limiting beliefs, to help them see that this can be an incredible profession, whether you're working mom, whether you're just an an individual woman uh, looking to be a sales professional. I I think there's such a cool power in this profession. And what are businesses, let's start with the right. What are businesses doing really right to help support uh, women in, in sales specifically? It's what I refer to as the CTP. And every organization needs to focus on three pillars, your culture, your training practices, and your policies. When you have leaders who are influential in creating the culture, the training, and the policies, as it relates to historically excluded groups, then everyone wins. If you have one race, one gender, creating all of your policies, delivering your training, creating your training modules, and taking a look at how do we create an inclusive culture, you miss the mark. How can you possibly create anything that is inclusive when the people making the decision are not inclusive and diverse? That's it. You've heard the expression, the fish stinks from the head, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest mistake companies are making, and I'll get to what they're doing right in just a second. What they're doing wrong is having, as Kelly Hoey puts it, leadership that is stale, male and pale. Trying to create a culture of belonging for people who don't look like them. How can you possibly be successful? What companies are doing right, the ones that I work with that, that, that get it, their leadership is willing to create a seat at the decision-making table for people who don't look like them. They're willing to say, humbly, we don't know everything 
let's have someone who is affected by this on a day-to-day basis come to the table and give us some best practices. They're willing to listen to their employees, knowing that their employees have all the answers. They ask their employees, what do you need to feel a sense of belonging at our company? And then when the employee is vulnerable and says, this is what I need, leadership says, okay, let's make some changes, swift changes. They're not going to take a year to try to implement a new program. No, they take less than 30 days. They say, we're going to implement small changes as we go along to get to the goal. But if you wait a year to implement a change, that employee is going to go to a company where they are celebrated, not where they are tolerated. Oh, man, these are really good. What are an example of like one or two of the changes that you've seen organizations make that have really made an impact? The biggest one is they shift their mindset from thinking about equality to equity. Equality says that I'm going to have Jordan, your wife, um, and a few of your friends over for dinner, and I'm going to offer you steak, potatoes, and a vegetable, maybe some wine. Um, Equity says that that if your wife is vegan, I'm going to offer her a vegan meal because that's what she needs to thrive for health purposes. Equality says I offered everybody the same thing. Equity says I'm going to offer you what you need to survive. So let's take a look at training. Training out of the box is most likely created by men for men at a time when men made up the entire sales force, right? So if you think to your sales gurus, the Brian Tracy, the Grant Cardone, the Zig Ziglar's, what do they all have in common? Yes. When you try and I, and I experienced this firsthand. I was reading every single book I could, listening to every audio series I could, attending every single conference I could to learn how to become a top performing sales professional. And I have to take the scripts in those books and I'd have to change them. Nothing wrong with those scripts. I got to the top 1% modifying the, 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 the tactics in those books. But sometimes when women say things that were created for a man to say and by a man to say, it comes off being disingenuous. It comes off being aggressive. And that is not how women are wanted to be seen in the sales world by your prospects, by your leaders, things like that. So we've got to do double duty. Yes, we read about it. Then we've got to change the script. So in your training, if it's created by one race, one gender, one demographic, if you will, or demographic feel, then you are totally missing the mark on what those historically excluded groups need to thrive. Oh, these are really, really good examples. And really helped me think through as, you know, I'm running different trainings and um, workshops with individuals. I do sit in the, uh, you know, white 
mail seat and try to wonder, you know, what, what do I do to support that? And so what advice would you have to, you know, the white males that are in sales and sales leadership positions? Um, how do we show up and acknowledge that we know where we're coming from uh, and that we've had a, a kind of, um, you know, nice setup for ourselves for a long time. And it's been easy to see people like me in leadership roles. What, what do we do to support um, that more equitable uh, individual or, or that woman in sales? What, what do we do? The first step is what you've already done is ask, what can I do? realizing that you don't know everything. Nobody does. We're all still evolving with the ebbs and flows of what it takes for everyone to thrive. Hmm. Second thing would be, let's have a conversation about what your training organization looks like, what you're doing, and how it's affecting or impacting your historically excluded groups. One thing I encourage leaders to do is to segment their reports, men and women. If the group of women is not performing to the same level as the group of men, there's a problem. And there's an opportunity for you to bring in someone who specializes in professional development for women in sales to help them to fill in the gaps, right? Because nine times out of 10, it's not prospecting, lead generation, account penetration, and all that good stuff. Your training programs are solid. It's how does your woman in sales deal with a customer or prospect who behaves badly, i.e. sexually harasses them? How do you deal with the woman in sales who comes to you as a leader and says, you know what, this prospect was really off the mark and I'm not quite sure how to respond. If your natural inclination is to say, what do you want me to do? We've got a problem. Leaders don't know what to do because their company has not educated them on what to do and how to respond. I work with companies all the time and I say, do you have a policy in place that protects your employees, male and female, against sexual harassment at the hands of a prospect or a customer? And they say, no, but we've got it for internal employees. Imagine the power that a woman in sales or a man in sales would, would feel if they were harassed and they could go back to their immediate leader and say, hey, this is what's happening, and they had their back. Instead of saying, well, I can take the account away from you and give it to Trevor, that employee is going to say, no, I've got a mortgage to pay. I don't want you to think that I can't handle myself. I want your support to help me get better to fix the situation. That's what they want is your support. They don't want you to fix it by taking it away from them. That's not the answer. Hmm. That's just one example. This is a great example example, though. I think I, and one of which I'm sure there are many, many, many uh, out there, but I think that's a a really, really good one. Hmm. This is helpful. This is, this is blowing my mind. So I I appreciate this. Um, So I'm super curious 
as I, I know you've gone out and done a lot of interviews talking to women to, to be in the top 1%. Um, you know, I, I think I, I got a chance to look at a, a bit of the book, Reach the Top 1%, a st- strategic game plan for warrior women in sales. And so I'd be curious, what's the like one consistent habit you've seen for these women that are the top 1% in sales? What, what is that thing that they do consistently or, or frequently? Ooh, can I give you two? I think so. We'll, we'll take two. Okay. The number one, though, the number one is accepting responsibility for everything. As a sales professional, you are in charge of your book of business, i.e. an entrepreneur. If you were to develop a mindset of my manager won't do this, my customers won't do that, the blame game you are missing a huge opportunity to affect change. Instead of saying all the things that are going wrong, why not ask yourself, how can I, and then fill in the blank. My manager is not supportive. Turn it around. How can I get my manager to support my efforts? My company is not supportive. Turn it around. How can I get my company to support my efforts? Do I need to create a business case? Do I need to elicit the help of others around me? Your book of business, your success or your failure is all on you. You don't have enough training? Get some. Which brings me to my second point. Become a professional, a student of sales. You wouldn't go if you were on trial for murder, heaven forbid, and you went to go get an attorney, you wouldn't get someone who didn't study the law, who wasn't well-versed in legal defense, criminal defense, right? You wouldn't go to a tax attorney who wasn't abreast of all of the latest tax laws that occur every single year and all the changes. So why would your customers come to you when 80% of their knowledge can be gleaned online and they're paying you to solve the problems that they can't Google? Why would they come to you if you are not a professional? Right? So become a student of selling Read an hour a day. I don't care if it's podcasts. I don't care if it's a book, a physical book, an audio book, whatever it is. Read an hour a day. That's the minimum. By the end of the year, you will have a college degree in sales. Turn your car into a university on wheels. Don't listen to the radio. Listen to podcasts. Listen to that audio book. You've got to be a professional sales person. And the only way to do that is with knowledge. Oh, this is so good. I love this accountability piece and really looking at how do you become a professional? I know that was a big shift for me many years ago, uh, looking at sales, not just as a job, but as a profession. Yes. And how do professionals act and operate? This is really, yes. really great, Cynthia. I've got a couple rapid fire questions for you as we wrap sure. ourselves up here. Okay. You talked about some of this a little bit. I'm going to pivot it some. What's the favorite quality you've seen in different leaders that you've worked with? Empathy. Hmm. This is great. 
what do you do you love winning more or dislike losing more i love winning more because losing is an opportunity to learn exactly this and because great. winning is a group effort mm. right success totally. is never created in a vacuum and I always remember that we are better together. And that's why NAWSP is so successful is because we know that as women in sales, we are better together. Oh, this is great. And what does success mean to you personally today? Knowing that when I depart this earth, I will have made a positive impact on those who matter most. Mm, that's great. So, Cynthia, this has been unbelievably enlightening uh, and helpful for me. And I, I think our community is going to get a ton out of this. Oh, good. How do, we, how do we find you? Talk to us a little bit about NAWSP, you know, different speaking that you do, the book that we'll definitely link to in the show notes. Talk, talk to us a little bit about where, where do folks get, get more Cynthia and all, all the wonderful stuff that you're helping uh, put out there in the world. Uh, LinkedIn is always um, number one. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn every single day, checking messages, communicating with people. You can pick up my book, Reach the Top 1%, a game plan, a strategic game plan for warrior women in sales on Amazon. Um, let's see, NAWSP is at nawsp.org. We are a community of highly ambitious, motivational, um, supportive women who want to lift each other up because we each know that when one of us succeeds, we all succeed. And if you're looking for training and professional development that to fill in the gaps, then I welcome you to join us. Oh, well, this was wonderful. Cynthia Barnes, thank you so much. We will have a bunch of great resources linked up in the show notes for folks. And until next time, let's go make today great. It's thanks to help from listeners like you, this podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks.